Take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 18. We're coming quickly to the end of Malachi. And one of the things we have seen clearly in our study of Malachi is that those in Malachi's day exhibited many of the same attitudes and actions that we do in our day. It seems that human nature really never changes since the fall, does it? I mean, tonight in our class, we're going to talk about the the, uh, situation that we find ourselves in because of the fall, and and we'll uh, lay on that a little more. We'll talk about that a little more this morning that will add to what we're going to say tonight. If you're in my class, you'll hear some things twice probably, but that's okay. Maybe you'll be more likely to remember it that way. But the important thing to understand is when we come to this particular passage in Malachi, he goes back to that disputational method that he's using. You have said, and they say, how how have we said that? Where have you you heard us say that? And basically says it's because of your lifestyle. you, You may not say it with your lips, although many of them probably were saying it with their lips. But you're saying it with your life. Everything that you do, everything that you are, everything that you demonstrate in your daily walk is crying out that this is the circumstance. And, and much in our day, you know, you hear people talking about it all the time, man, there's somebody who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. You know, there's, they, they say one thing and they live another way. That was the, that was the situation in Malachi's day. Now, they were going to the temple. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were doing everything they were required to do by the legal system. But somehow, some way, their heart was not right. Their focus was not right. And because of that, it was all in vain. Hear what Malachi says, starting in verse 13. Your words, this is God speaking to them, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and and that we walk in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem, honor, glorify his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve. There's two groups of people in this passage. There are those in verses 13 through 15 that really are are the proud complainers. They're people who Malachi looks out and sees among the, the multitude that's gathered there, 
who are, are, are proudful of what they have done and what they are doing and what they can accomplish and have accomplished, and yet they complain against God because they say basically, Lord, this is what we have done for you. This is what we have done in your name. These are the sacrifices that we have made and that we have brought. These are the times we've come into worship. Even, even it says sometimes walking in mourning in that time of worship, coming in in tears and, and seemingly sadness over something. And we've shown ourselves before you in this way. And, and, and so how can you say that we're, how can you not accept us? How can you not bless us? Matter of fact, their, their big complaint is, Lord, we're doing all this stuff and, and we're not getting our due that we feel like we deserve. We are we're being religious. We're observing your laws. We're going through all the motions of worship down to the very minute matters of worship. And yet here we are. We're not blessed like we think we ought to be blessed. I want you to look there very closely at what they're, how they're responding, what they're saying. Notice where their focus is. They're, they're reflecting it toward God as they say it among themselves, but their real attention, their real focus is on me. It's on what am I getting out of it? Why It's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge that we have, and what, that we have walked in mourning before the Lord? So, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that, that we seek to do all the religious things that we're called to do and Lord, you're not blessing us. You're not giving us better houses. You're not giving us more money. You're not giving us a, an easier time. We're, we get sick sometimes, and we, and we lose loved ones, and we, we have people die in our families, and we don't like that. And Lord, we look around us, and, and others who aren't even coming to the temple, who aren't even coming to the, to the place of worship, they're doing a whole lot better than we are, it would seem like. Lord, it's just vain. It's without profit. It's without benefit. How many times have those who are very religious people said, you know, it's, 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 it's just not fair. I, I'm a good person, and I, I do my best, and I go to church every Sunday. And, and I've got, if you were living in the day I was growing up, you'd say, I've got all the Sunday school attendance pens to prove it. We don't have those anymore, thank God, but, but they did at one time. We did it one time. I've got all this to prove it. I can wear it with pride. I'm doing all the right things. But I'm not getting out of it what I believe I deserve. The I is the problem in that equation. Their focus is on themselves. Oh, they go to the temple. They go to worship. They go to the place where, where God has commanded them to go and to offer sacrifices. But when they go, it's with one eye toward what they're bringing and the other eye toward themselves and it's saying, okay, I'm really, I'm really expecting to get something out of this. I'm really expecting that God's going to bless me because of what I do. There's a total misunderstanding of grace there. A total misunderstanding that, that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. He, he's not a God that looks at you and me today and says, well, if I can count up ten things that you have done right and you have done, then I'll bless you with that or bless you with something else. Not, not that at all. But yet that's how they lived. And if we're honest with one another, if we're honest with ourselves, to a great extent, that's how we live. The, the psalmist also 
struggled with that. If you turn with me to Psalm 73 for just a minute, I want you to, to see the parallel here between the two because it's an important parallel. The psalmist in writing the psalm is, is experiencing this personally. He, he's experiencing this in the depth of his soul. I mean, he, he's struggling. He starts out in verse 1, if you notice, with a, with a strong affirmation. Surely God is good to Israel, to his people, to those who are pure in heart. He says, I know that God treats his people rightly. I know that God is gracious toward those who love him, to those who walk in purity of heart. And then in verse 2, he says, but as for me, I know this great theological truth. And a lot of times that's where we find ourselves. We, we know the theology. We, we know what the Bible says. But yet we never let it kind of sink into our heart. We never let it sink to the deepest part of our being. So he says, I know God's good to his people, verse 2. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. I almost tripped up. I, I almost blew it. Is a good paraphrase there. My steps had almost slipped. I was envious of the arrogant. I was envious of the arrogant. As I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. Now, we don't, we don't think a lot about fatness today. We think thin is in, you know, and we want everybody wants to be thin and slim and all this and work out and keep, well, in their day, being fat was a sign of prosperity. Why, they're fat. Here's how fat they are. They're, it'll say later, so their eyes are bulging. It says in verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They, they speak from on high. In other words, they place themselves in the place of God. They act as though they're the, the captain of their own destiny. They're, they're their own God. We will speak how things will be. They have set their mouth against the heavens. They even speak against God. And their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. God's taking care of his people. And yet they, these, these people say, how does God know? Is he really aware of what's going on? Is there any knowledge with the Most High? There's this, there's this parallel, the psalmist concern that, that he's not getting what he thinks he deserves, and all these others that give no regard to God, speak from on high, challenge the heavens with their voices they're getting everything they really are so is there no knowledge with the most high does god not see what's going on down? is he not aware of course he's aware then on the other side the wicked are probably saying well eh, does god really know look at me i'm sinning i'm doing what i want to do god's not doing anything to me you know, you've seen people before mock God and say, God, if you're really there, then strike me dead. And then turn to believers and say, ha, see, he's not there. Well, his grace is, common grace is entering in there a little bit. 
goes on and says, Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, and I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, if I if I'd have said, okay, I'm going to go out and just shout this from the housetops to everybody around. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak of my frustration. I'm going to speak of my despair. If I'd done that, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, Lord. When I pondered this, it was troublesome in my sight. Now look at verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Until I came into the presence of the Lord, until I entered into his place and, and, and sought his face and looked to him, un, until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I saw therein, I perceived therein. I, I saw that it's not all about what's happening in this life and in this world. I saw that in reality, it's, it's what God does when he culminates everything that really matters. And I saw their end. And he goes on and describes it in not too great terms. He said, Surely, Lord, you've set them in slippery places and cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment and utterly slept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Now, I, I entered into the presence of God and I came into his presence in prayer. I came into his presence seeking his face. And I got a whole new perspective. That's where we are a lot of times, folks. We get discouraged and we get embittered and we get downcast over what's going on in our life and going on around us, what our circumstances are, what if, if you're in our mind and Todd's class on, on Sunday night, you know what, what the heat is that comes upon our life and bears down upon our life. And you just want to say, I give up. I've served God in vain. I've kept my hands clean in vain. I've kept my heart pure in vain because I look over there and I see somebody or some bodies or many people who are living a riotous life, loving it every minute, just blowing it all on this life, and, and they don't have any trouble like I have. They don't seem to be sick. Their kids don't seem to rebel. Their bank accounts are full. key for you and me is the same key that was with the psalmist. We've got to come into his presence. We've got to seek his face in prayer and seek his face in worship and get worship right because that's what was happening in Malachi's day. They had worship all wrong. They came with the wrong attitudes. They came with the wrong motives. And so they did not see the glory of God in their own life. They were looking at themselves rather than looking at him. The psalmist goes on in verse 21. He kind of does a little self-analysis here. He says, when, I was, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you, Lord. I was like a madman. I was saying things that were just outlandish and crazy and, and unacceptable. I see that now. 
but Lord, I, 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 I've got to get my focus on you or else it will just continue that way. And, and I'll be like a beast. I'll be ignorant and senseless. And Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Your presence is always there. You've taken hold of my right hand. And with your counsel, you guide me, and afterward you will receive me in glory. See that shift in his whole attitude there? When when the focus is taken off of himself, and his focus is placed on seeking the the presence and and praising God and seeking his, his presence every day, in every circumstance, in every bit of heat in his life, do you see how it all changes in a moment, he makes a great affirmation of faith here. He says, Lord, whom have I have in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far off from you will perish You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. My good. And I have made the Lord my God my refuge. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Oh, what a tremendous ending to that psalm. Lord, I, I, I want to just tell you right here and now, I'm, 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 I'm camping in you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm seeking shelter in you. I, I'm not going to seek shelter in, in the blessings that I can get from you. I'm not going to seek the blessings. I'm going to seek you. This past week I was reading one of my former professors, R.C. Sproul, and, and, and he made this statement, and I, I even tweeted it out. It's a great statement. He said, it says, the sin of fallen man is this. Man seeks the benefits of God while at the same time fleeing from God himself. Now think about that. A lot of men, a lot of women in, in churches across this city and county and country and world are at church this morning many of them in droves because they want to see if they can't get God to give them something it's the whole health wealth prosperity kind of idea if I go to church God has to bless me if I say this or I do that or I go there then God has to you know I'm looking for God to give me something they're seeking the blessings of God but they're not seeking God himself that was the problem in Malachi's day folks They were coming to worship, but they weren't worshiping. They were coming to worship with wrong motives, wrong attitudes, and they weren't worshiping. Oh, well, I guess you could say they were worshiping, but they were worshiping the wrong God. They were worshiping the God of self, not the God who is the real, living, and true God. Because they wanted to know, God, why don't you give us more? Lord, Lord, we're trying, we're doing all the right stuff. Why don't you care about us? And and so, you know, we 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 call the arrogant blessed, and and only the doers of wickedness are built up. Not only are they built up, but they also test God and they and they escape. They cry out to God, I want nothing to do with you. I don't believe you exist. 
and they go right on living. There's this mentality of, why doesn't God strike right now? Why isn't God a God of justice? I mean, he is a God of justice, but why isn't he expressing his judgment and his justice right now? Because we want to see that judgment, don't we? We want to see that justice on them. Thankfully, he doesn't express that judgment right now because we might get caught up in the wash. He's, he's a merciful God. He, you know, and things don't change. I mean, but Peter said in his little second epistle, he said, he said, you know, talking about the coming day of the Lord, he said, know this first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation. Mockers will rise up. You know any mockers? I, I imagine you know some personally right here in good old Somerset, Kentucky. If you don't, all you got to do is turn on TV. It won't take long before you see on shows that you think are so benign and so innocent, but they will mock God. They will deny Him. They will deny His existence. They will deny His glory. They will deny everything about him because that's the day we live in same as it was in malachi's day they were they were doing the externals they were going through the motions externally things looked pretty good internally there was nothing there there was no reality. And so they challenged God, and they were arrogant against God. And, and they said it's vain to serve God. We don't get any profit out of keeping his, his charge. We've even cried some. We've mourned. Didn't help. But there was a remnant. And in, in verses 16 through 18, Malachi kind of focuses on those from the Lord. And then those who feared the Lord, that is reverenced him, those who worshiped him, those who sought his face, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name, honor his name, glorify his name, not trying to lift up my name, but exalting his name. God said, they will be mine. On the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. I don't know about you, but that, that's the beauty of the covenant that I see that God has made with us in Christ. Oh, we stumble, and sometimes we even get arrogant like the psalmist did, and we have to come with confession and repentance. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we, we, we mess up big time sometimes. And yet, God says, I will, when you turn to me. Remember back in verse 7, he said, return to me, and I'll return to you. And, and they were saying, how shall we return? We're doing all these things. How shall we return? And he's saying here, when we return and, and understand again the promises of his covenant relationship that was never really broken. 
I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I, I, I just see the parable of the prodigal son that, that Jesus spoke. You know, the one son who said, look, Dad, I'm, I need to get out of here. I need to go have some fun, and all I got is what your money is. I want you to give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to go, and I want to just I want to live my own life. I want to I be my own self. Or maybe in our day we'd say, I want to go find myself. I don't know. But he wanted to go. And so the father gave it to him. And he went out and he, he, he lived, the scripture says, riotously. He, he lived w- for pleasure only. He lived only for himself. And he squandered everything he had. He found, him, found himself as a Jewish boy feeding pigs. About as low as you could get. And it says, much like the psalmist said in Psalm 73, when I came to my senses, you know, I quit looking at what I want and I, I remembered and I came to my senses, I realized the servants in my father's house have it better than this. They're not having to be out in the pig pens. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, Dad, I'm, I don't deserve to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Can I just be a servant in your house? You know the story. The father saw him coming, ran out to greet him, put on a cloak around him and gave him, put a ring on his finger and killed a fatted calf and threw a big party and, and, and they had a grand old time and they were, they were thrilled that the son, he said, this, my son who was dead has now come back to me. And he had a party and he restored him, not as a servant in his house, but as a son because that covenant of sonship had never been broken, it had never ended, and he was back in his father's house. I see that here. You know, I will, I will, I will restore you, I will spare you as a man spares his own son who serves him. There were a lot of times I was glad that Bill Haynes Sr. didn't say to Bill Haynes Jr., I've had it with you. I'm done with you. He, he had plenty of opportunities. We won't go into that. But he had plenty of opportunities. He didn't. Because I was a son. And there was a bond of adoption, or really birth there, but it was a bond that, that was, was fatherly and childly and and he would restore me he always restored me he would he would he would discipline me he would chasten me i probably set the record for having my car taken away from me more than anybody else you know and he believed in not sparing the rod so that you know I, there were times when when he had every opportunity but he didn't cut me off Oh yeah, there was this other brother in that father's house in that parable, wasn't there? He was the, he was the righteous one. He saw this rebel. He saw this son that squandered his inheritance while he was alive. He dishonored his father. He, 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 was, he, didn't, he didn't stay around and help with the flocks or help with the crops. He, he went away and just played. He didn't want him back. He was so pharisaical. He was so self-righteous. Father, you never killed the fatted calf for me. What? You've been eating my table every day. 
you've been enjoying the fruit of my labor every day. I mean, you've been here. You've gotten everything. Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't throw a party for me. Well, it's because you've always been with me. Sometimes we act like the fatted, uh, we act like the fatted calf. We do that too. But so, sometimes we act like the older brother, don't we? Sometimes slips are, precious, are priceless. We act like the older brother. Someone comes in repentance, seeking God's grace and forgiveness, and we say, oh, man, you know, I never did what they did. No, you didn't. Be thankful for that, but be rejoicing that, that God has turned one back to himself, that, that God has brought one back as a son sparing, as a father sparing his own son. That he's come back to the family. That he's come back into the covenant. There's a great joy there. So you got the proud complainers, and then you got the believing God-fearers that, that, that Malachi is so concerned that we see. And, and all I'd ask you this morning is, which group are you in? Examine your own heart as we come to this table. Am I a prideful complainer? Or am I a God-fearer? Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Am I fearing Him, seeking Him, honoring Him, esteeming Him, worshiping Him properly, not worshiping Him so I can get something, which is really worshiping me? Am I worshiping Him? This past Tuesday, I went down a couple of our guys, and it turned out to be a lot of grace people there. I almost took an offering. There were so many there. Uh, but I went down to the community college, and some of the Tuskegee Airmen were there. Many of you know who the Tuskegee Airmen are. They're uh, a, a group of, of, of African-American uh, pilots back in World War II when it was still Jim Crow days, when it was still uh, a horrible period in the history of our nation. And, and yet they were there training in Tuskegee, Alabama, and, and preparing to go. And, and they were washed out much easier than a white pilot would have been washed out at another place. They were all segregated at that time. And they had one, of the, one of the guys got sick and didn't come who actually completed the program. And he wasn't able to be there. But, but the one that came was one who went halfway through the program and then he got washed out. He got court-martialed and wasn't allowed to be a pilot in the Tuskegee Airmen for the reason that he flew too close in some kind of formation to another pilot who hadn't been a white pilot, so he didn't wash out for flying too close, but the, the African-American pilot did. This guy's 90 years old, and he was spry as could be. But he talks about their experience, and the guy's asking him questions, sort of a moderator on the platform, and they go through all that. And finally, they come to a question and answer time. And it's all been about flying these P-whatevers and X-3s, or whatever they were, it was like speaking a foreign language to a non-aeronautical you know, kind of guy, but it was, it was interesting. But they got down and started asking some questions from the audience, and the very last question, remember they said, this will be the last question. This guy stood up and he said, can I ask you this? And he, to, the, to the 90-year-old man, he said, are you more filled with pride that you got to at least be in the program? Or are you more bitter that you got washed out unfairly? Are you filled with pride that you got in, or are you bitter the way they treated you? I don't know what he was going to say. But let me tell you, 
it was worth sitting there to hear him say this. He rubbed his face. He said, young man, let me tell you something. I didn't do anything. Everything that I've been given is from God. God allowed me to get in the program, and God has taken care of me. And no, there is no bitterness, because it's all from Him. I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was worth all that we, the whole program to hear that last question. And see God's name esteemed. Didn't hurt that it was on a secular school campus, but that's, that's a whole other matter. You see what I'm saying? The problem in Malachi's day was you had the complainers who were filled with pride because they did, they did, they did. It's all about them. And then you had those who were believing God fears, who looked to him, who worshipped him, who esteemed him, who, who saw themselves in that covenant relationship, in a father-son relationship with him, and they just wanted to know him. Where, where are you this morning? You might begin by starting, why am I here? Am I here because, well, you know, I missed a couple of Sundays. I knew if I didn't get back, God's going to get angry with me and he might not like me anymore. Are you here because you've come out of joy? I just got to go worship. I got to go lift my heart. I got to go lift my, my voice to him who is the great and awesome and mighty God. And I've just got to go worship him. You know, when, when we know him and walk with him, we are filled with joy. When we just do it out of religious obligation, there's no joy. Just doing what i got to do. Just, just doing the bare minimum. Just trying to get by. Don't understand grace. Don't understand covenant. It's all about me. It's all about him. As we come this morning to the end of the sermon and we come to this table, it's all about what he did on Calvary. We're going to come and observe the Lord's Supper. We're going, to, we're going to take communion. It's a time of focusing on Him. You don't take the bread and take the fruit of the vine in order to say, well, if I do this, maybe I'll get something. You do it because, Lord, you gave yourself your body on that cross and you spilled your blood that I might know you. If you're here this morning, you're a believer. You've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to this table. It's not Grace Baptist table. It's not even just the Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. So if you belong to him, I invite you to come, whether you're a member of Grace or not, if you're in good standing with your local church, not under discipline. I invite you to come to this table and think about these elements as we worship together. Would you bow your heads with me as we prepare these elements, as our deacons come forward to serve? And if you're in the, if you're in the foyer, I remind you that we serve only in the sanctuary. If you've been watching on the television, I, I ask you to 
quietly slip in the back doors and join us in here as we prepare for this meal. Would you bow your heads with me? And as we prepare these elements, would you pray, even as Pastor Todd read earlier, that we examine ourselves, that we we look to our we examine ourselves for sin. Pray with David. Search me, O Lord, and try my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. If there's anything there, lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in your will. Break my heart over my sin. You pray as we prepare.